If you comfortably can, will you stand with me for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I come before you in the precious name of Jesus and thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanseth us from all sin. I thank you that Eli's life was cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and because of that we have good hope, heavenly hope, that through Christ Jesus' blood that was shed on Calvary and that Eli is in heaven even now rejoicing at the foot of Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for salvation in him, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, but by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. I pray, Heavenly Father, for the peace of God to rule and prevail here today, and pray that, especially for Sarah Ann and for each of her children, for the larger family, Sarah Ann and Eli's brothers and sisters, mom and dads, and for the next generations, that in this time, uh, you could become more real and more precious than you've ever been before. So we thank you for the privilege of being here together to commemorate the life and homegoing of Eli, to pay our last respects to him, to bury his body. But mostly, Lord, um, this is an opportunity for us to worship the one true and holy and living God, and we thank you for that. And pray that one of these days, even soon, maybe even today, that you will return and take us home to be with, your, with you in that glorious place called heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And you can sit down. We welcome you here today and pray, yes, that this could be a time of worshiping our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't understand, but we trust him. To give the order of the service, Calvin Lapp will be starting a song, a congregational song, so be ready to join in in just a minute or two. After that, Duke Duval, a friend of Eli's from Missouri, is here with us today, and he will be uh, having a devotional. After that, John Lewis Lapp, who is one of the pastors here at Weavertown and also a member of the leadership team at Living Hope Christian Fellowship in Perry County, will be giving the sermon. So, Calvin, when I sit down, if you will uh, lead in that song, and when the song is finished, uh, Duke, you can just come right here up.
I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful to be invited by the family. Sarah Ann, in particular, what a blessing. Seems like just months ago, and it was in January, that my dear mother, who is now 95, and I had such rich fellowship with you and Eli in your home. I want to thank Norman and John and other leaders. I know that many of you have no clue who I am, although I see many, many familiar faces. I first preached here in Lancaster County 35 years ago, and I have been coming year after year, sometimes multiple times in a year, both to Perry County and here to Lancaster County. A lot of times we ask, why me, when it's something bad that happens? I say, why me, because I have so many Amish and Mennonite friends. Why me, that I have been invited in to such a time as this, to be invited to preach in so many fellowships and gatherings, Pinecraft, year after year, Holmes County, Lancaster County, Oakland, Maryland, Arthur, Illinois. Why is it that I get letters from Amish ministers and bishops? Brother Duke, please keep encouraging us in the truth of God's word. Please find comfort in this truth, in this brief devotion that I have. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and whether willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Such rich fellowship and conversations and prayer time I have had with my brother Eli over these last five years. I have stayed in their home. I have eaten at their table. We have prayed. On Monday night, I do a nationwide, in fact, an international broadcast. And I know that my brother Eli has been strengthened by my daily call and by these Monday evening calls. He wasn't on that Monday evening call. He was already in the presence of the Lord. And when I had the privilege of speaking to Sarah Ann later that night after my broadcast, hours after she had learned of the home going of her dear husband, I said, dear sister, remember, our brother Eli is more alive right now than we are. And that's the truth. And the truth makes us free. 
One of Eli's favorite, and I only have two to share today, two of the stories, two of the articles that I have utilized in preaching in Perry County that were near and dear to my brother. Someone said to me back in Missouri, why would you go 2,000 miles on a trip for a 15-minute devotional? It's because as we prayed, Irvin, we want to honor Eli and we want to exalt his Savior. That is our heart's cry. All glory to God. And this meant a lot to my brother. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that the first came the date of the birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was that little dash between the years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved him know what that really is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend that little dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged if we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way that other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last for a little while. So when your eulogy, your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, will you be blessed by what they say on how you spent your dash? I loved Eli's humility. His warm and caring attitude toward people and a genuinely funny sense of humor. He got a great chuckle out of the fact that when I was invited to speak at an Amish school and I was trying to convey first grade through eighth grade what it means to have figurative language, how that when we talk about being under the wings of God, he doesn't have feathers, it's figurative language. And so I said to this schoolhouse filled with Amish children, what would it mean, children, if I said to you right now, it's raining cats and dogs? A little first grader raised his hand and he said, sir, it would mean that you are lying. <laughs> In the truest sense, that's correct. But when Eli and I would laugh, there was this genuine sense of bonding, this sense of knowing that we were brothers in Christ. We had different paths that we had been brought up in, different heritages, different traditions. But in Christ, we are one, we are unified. When I have preached many times in Holmes County, the Amish family that I stay with there, the more that we would speak late into the evenings after I would preach, he'd say, Brother Duke, you remind me more and more of what my bishop has told me time and again. Jonas, you will only be Amish until you die. 
My friends, there is not an English section in heaven. There's not a Mennonite and an Amish section in heaven. Those of us who have left these earthly tents behind, and we have been, as Norman said, covered in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that blessed assurance. We have that hope. And that little dash that we spend, which I saw in my brother Eli's life over these last five years, grow with an ever-sensing desire to know that people would come to that restitution, that sense of being restored in a relationship with God, so that when this life is over, we may spend eternity without end. And so may I just address for a moment the interesting little word, now, the dash in your life. Someone has noted, Norman, that yesterday is just a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note, but today is cash. How will we invest it? And how can I honor my brother? Some of the things that he shared with me, deep upon his heart, wanting to see his family, the next generation, the generation after that, if the Lord should tarry, to come into fellowship with such a vibrancy that they would have such a testimony for Christ that others would want to know his Savior too. That little word now is mentioned so many times, 1,355 times in the King James Version. Getting to the heart of how we must address life because yesterday is past and tomorrow is not promised to us. That particular little word, now, when I think that each of us, as the Bible says, is going to have to give account one day for every idle word, we know that God himself would never use an idle word. How then is it possible that in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it would begin that well-known passage, which grammatically would make sense if we simply said, faith is the substance of things hoped for. But apparently it would not be theologically sound because it now says, now faith. Now faith, not yesterday's faith. Not faith you might muster tomorrow. But as Eli and I talked into the wee hours sometimes, it's now faith. The faith that each of us must apprehend, demonstrate, live out. Because we do walk by faith and not by sight. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Therefore, in that Matthew 20, uh, 12, 36 passage, but I say unto you that men shall speak, they shall give count thereof in the day of judgment for every little idle word. We know that that now of Hebrews 11.1 1 is not an idle word. It is something that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the writer to Hebrews said is important theologically. Let me hurry to a close. We take a look here and we see in John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present tense, not past, not future, hath, the representation of now in a man's life, a woman's life, a young person's life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. I have the testimony ringing in my ears of sitting at your kitchen table, Sarah Ann. And my brother saying, I have that faith. Present tense. What does he have? He has everlasting life. 
and he shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now, not future, not past, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Our friends, you and I have a great and blessed promise. Revelation 12.10 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive now forevermore without end. This brief glimpse into life is but a foretaste of what you and I will experience in Christ forever. We have so many beautiful songs farther along. Heaven will be worth it all. But heaven will be worth it because of our relationship with Christ, which you and I can have now. And finally, that which meant so much to Eli, and he would ask to hear it often. One day a woman named Louise fell asleep in her bed and dreamed a very frightful dream. She dreamed that someone in hell had written her a letter. Now she's in this dream and she sees this ghost-like figure come out of the local cemetery and down Main Street and up the sidewalk and through the front door. She's dreaming all of this and this ghost-like figure presents to her an envelope that simply was marked from someone now in hell. She would later say that this dream was so real she could actually smell sulfur. She trembled and she wept in this dream. And as she took with trembling hands this letter in her dream and opened it from someone in hell, it was marked, here's what Louise read. My friend, I'm here in hell right now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth I walked with you day by day, and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell his story. My knowledge then was very dim, and you could have led me safe to him. And though we lived together on the earth, you never told me of your second birth. And now I stand in hell condemned because you failed to mention him. Oh, you taught me many things, that's true. I called you my friend, and you know what? I trusted you, but I learn now that it's too late, and you could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day, and we talked by night, and yet you showed me not God's light. You let me live and love and die, knowing that I would never live on high. Yes, I called you a friend in life, and I trusted you through joy and strife. And yet, on coming to this hellish end, I see that you were not my friend. And it was signed by someone named Marcia. Louise awoke from this dream. She knew someone named Marcia. She rolled out of her bed, and she did what I confess your brother Duke had to do many years ago. I was ordained into the ministry 33 years ago. Even before that, I had taken missionary journeys. And I was growing in my desire to let people know the good news. 
And this is where my brother Eli and I connected so strongly. He was growing in that desire to see Christ known in his family, in his community, and the world. I, at one time in my youth, I had to also get on my knees. I had to confess that I had loved Jesus, but I had been ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so it would seem. I think this resonated with my brother Eli. I think that he looked at past opportunities where he could have shared Christ. And with sorrow, he grieved about that. And we should grieve about that. But he didn't stay in that grief. He decided, I'm going to do something about it. And in this dream, Louise falls out of bed onto her knees, begins to repent. Lord, I know that you have told us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And from this day forward, she said, I will say so. I will call Marcia at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, Lord. And from this day forward, I will proclaim the good news that there's a heaven to be gained. There's a hell to be avoided. At 8 o'clock, true to her word, she called Marcia's home. Marcia's husband, Bill, picked up the line. Hello. Uh, hello, Bill. This is Louise. I hope I'm not calling too early. May I please speak to Marcia? Total silence on the line. And Bill said, Louise, obviously you have not heard. Heard what, Bill? Marcia was killed in a head-on collision last night about midnight. My friend, we do not choose the days on this earth. God does. But by His grace, we can walk by faith and not by sight. And like my brother Eli, who desired to know Him better and to make Him better known... He was able to say to me at that table just months ago, I remember the days, January 11th, January 12th, he wanted to kick off our series of old-fashioned hymn sings and preaching before I even went to Pinecraft for the uh, winter months. He wanted people to know, Dave, didn't he, that there was a Savior and that they did not have to die in their sins, they could die in Christ. And therefore I have no doubt that the one who is absent from this body is present with our Savior. Hallelujah. He is more alive than all of us put together. And this great God in heaven that we now worship by faith, He is worshiping face to face. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, what a privilege. What a blessing to be here in this bittersweet moment to be able to say to Sarah Ann and the children and grandchildren, I loved your husband as my brother in Christ. I loved your grandfather, your father. And I'm so thankful to the family, to the ministers and leadership here to allow me the privilege of coming for a brief moment to honor my friend and to exalt His, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, Duke. With heavy hearts, we come this morning. Our hearts are grieving in a lot of ways, and yet we have a lot of hope. And this afternoon, I'd like to talk a little bit about the hope we have. Um, as I stand here, my heart hurts for you, Sarah Ann. 
Catherine, Andrew, Elmer, Marv, Emma Grace, Daniel, Kayla, and poor brothers, mom and dad, um, and many friends. Our heart's heavy um, when we think about Eli not being with us here. But we have hope, and we'll talk about that hope this afternoon. No one of us expected to be gathered together like this today. Only Eli's passing would have brought us all here today like this. Nothing else. And I think there's a reason for it. I don't know. I'm not going to explain the reason because I don't know. But God has a bigger reason than any of us know um, for what is taking place this morning and for what took place Monday. I remember soon after I got to know Eli, I was at his house. I remember talking about some hard things in the past. And he said this. Every time the Lord brought something into his life that seemed too hard to bear, the Lord used that hard situation to bring him closer to himself. He went on to say, In God's mercy, he allowed those hard things in my life to draw him closer to himself. Family, friends, I think God wants to do that today too. I know this morning that seems too hard to think about Eli's death like that. But I do believe Eli would be saying exactly that today if he was here. I know he'd want us to find the hope in Christ. We all have, some, we all have many questions that seem like there's no answers for. And there'll be many more questions, family and friends, as we think about life without Eli. Why now? What are we going to do from here? How are we going to handle this? Um, and yet I believe that God in his wisdom knew what was going on, cared us about what is going on, and has a plan. I think of the verse in Philippians 1, 7, a verse that meant so much to me growing up. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I really believe that. He brought, did a good work in Eli's life. He wants to do a good work in our life, and he will perform it till Jesus comes back. We all have hope in the resurrection. There is hope that Jesus will carry us through. But we also have a hope that we ourselves can be resurrected and be with him someday. We can have faith that someday we'll see Eli again. Today I'd like to talk about that hope. And my message this afternoon is hope in the resurrection, hope in something to come. Without the hope of the resurrection, our life and death is in vain. We have no hope for the future. There's no reason to be here if we don't have a hope for something hereafter. Because we have faith in Christ and hope for the future, we can know our lives were not in vain. Because of the hope we get from Christ in his death, and resurrection, we also can trust Christ in Eli's death today. And that he is with Jesus now, and his body is also resurrect, will also be resurrected someday, like it says in 1 Thessalonians. We know just like in Jesus' death, God has made a greater plan. He can also trust God to have a much greater plan in Eli's death. Many of us have read the story of Lazarus, and this afternoon I'd like to just talk a little bit about the story of Lazarus and Jesus and his resurrection, and then I want to just give four um, simple, basic um, points on a hope of our resurrection. I'm going, to open our, I'm going to open my Bible up to John chapter 11, and that's the story of Lazarus 
and in the resurrection. And I think it's a story that many of you can read here in the future as you struggle with Eli's passing. Um, Sarah Ann, it's a story that should bring hope to you. Um, if, you wanna, if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to read the first couple verses there, and I'm going to go through the story of Lazarus this morning and just bring out what I think Jesus was pointing out or giving us today um, in a time like this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany in the village of Mary, in the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now he heard this. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son shall be glorified through it. I believe if we'd have it, we'd ask Jesus to come right now and ask, Laz- um, ask him to resurrect Eli. It's probably not, it's not going to happen um, like this, but we know he is resurrected. But I don't believe that'll happen. I do believe, though, Jesus resurrected Lazarus for a reason. And if you go in this story, and you look at this story, and you say, why did he resurrect Lazarus? Probably 10 years later, he died again. What was the reason for that? And I think the reason for God resurrect, Jesus resurrecting Lazarus in this story is for us to see that there is another resurrection coming and that we can have hope. And I'll talk about that in a bit. He did this as a reminder of, to us of Jesus' resurrection and the final resurrection for all of us children. Let's look at the story of Lazarus and see how and why Jesus performed this miracle. So Jesus came and he said, um, I'm not going to do this for my sake but for the honor and glory of God. And this, morning, uh, this afternoon, I think we can all be assured of one thing. Eli did not die for any other reason than God to be honored and glorified. And I think that's possible. And I know that seems hard to accept and understand. Um, and we cry out and say, God, why would you take Eli just so your name could be honored and glorified? Why would we take him away from Saran and from the children? They need him. But I think it's clear God had something else and, and, and has another purpose and a reason. And he wants to be honored and glorified. Next thing we see in verse 5. I'm going to read that verse. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I think that especially for you as a family, but for all of us. Jesus loves Sarian. He loves you children deeply. He cares about you. He allowed Lazarus to die, but he also loved not only Lazarus, but the children, and uh, Mary and Martha, and the people in his life. And I think it's clear, um, Jesus' pain for Mary and Martha, um, and the children, um, and Lazarus, was because he cared and loved about him. He, <clears throat> we also see he loved Lazarus, despite letting him die. I know he also loved Eli, despite the pain it brings us to see him gone. He had a reason and he wanted, he wanted Eli to come home with him. And it may be one reason that he allowed Eli to die is because he loved him and wanted him home with him. As we, we, as we keep reading the next few verses, we see the disciples asking questions. And from verses 6 to 16, we find five different times the disciples asking Jesus questions. Now, they're not the same questions that we're asking, but I think in the next month, Already, I remember that phone call 
um, about 7.30 Monday night, driving down the road, Chris called and said, John, we need help. I said, what happened? He said, Eli passed away. Right away, lots of questions came to my mind. I think so many of us, like the disciples, or would want to ask Jesus, why? Why? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to be right that Eli would die yet. Um, but Jesus was pointing forward. He was telling us and allowing this. Um, and in the middle of all these questions, Jesus is trying to tell us, we're not going to be here forever. Um, he's trying to tell us there's hope for, for our future. Finally, after two days in the story, Jesus comes to Mary and Martha and comforts them and reminds them of the resurrection and of his resurrection. Look at verse 25 and 26. I'm just going to read those verses. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is right after Lazarus died, or two days after Lazarus died, and they're struggling with these questions. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? These were Jesus' words to us, to them, and to us here this, morning, uh, this afternoon. Do you believe this? We can be reminded in this story that we have a hope for the resurrection, a hope to see Eli again, because Jesus died and rose again. And we all have that... If, and we can all have that same hope if we put our faith in him. And those verses there in 24 and 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection life. He who believes on me will live even though he dies. Then in verse 32 to 35, as the story goes on, we see Jesus again caring deeply for the people. Listen to these verses of Jesus' care for his people, um, people he loved. People like you, people like Sarah Ann and the family, people like the, your brothers and mom and dad. Jesus cares about you deeply. And listen to the caring words of Jesus here. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It it mattered to Jesus that they were weeping. It mattered to Jesus that they were crying. It mattered to Jesus that they were hurting. And it matters to Jesus today that we're hurting. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And the next verse, shortest verse in the Bible, a verse that is so real. Jesus knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. And in the middle of knowing that, he sees people crying, his loved ones crying. For Lazarus. And what does Jesus do? He starts crying himself. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Showing Jesus really, really does care about us. He takes interest in things. In the things that we are crying about. When, we saw, when he saw Mary and Martha weeping. He was deeply troubled. It, hurt Jesus when he, it hurts Jesus when he sees our pain. Sarah when Jesus sees you crying, even though he knows Eli is in a better place, he knows he's doing okay, I believe he'll be in heaven crying too. And for all of us as a family, and for all of us here, when we cry about Eli's passing, or when it hurts us dearly to think of Eli's passing, we can be sure one thing, it hurts Jesus as much as it does us. Even though he knows he's in heaven, even though he knows he's in glory, 
Jesus, I really truly believe, will be crying and taking your burdens and crying with you. Just like he did here. He had no reason to cry. He knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus, and yet he still wept with the family. Jesus, despite knowing everything, will weep for us because he knows our pain and hurts, even when it, we are hurting. Even if he knows what we're going through can be good for us, he still cries with us when we're hurting. Last thing we want to notice here in the story is not only, is not only hope in the resurrection, there is power in the resurrection. Those who, saw that Jesus, those who saw what Jesus did were astonished at what he did, raising Lazarus, and many put their faith in Christ because of the miracle. I know Christ isn't doing miracles like this today, raising people from the dead that I know of, but when he, we put our hope in Christ and in his resurrection, there is power in this kind of faith. That kind of faith gives us power to move forward. It gives us power to believe. It gives us power to hope in our future. It gives us reasons to move on. It gives us reasons to believe. The world sees this hope that lies within us who believe. They are moved by that power and also want to have that faith. I believe Eli believed in this hope and would want all of us today to have that same hope also. We know there was hope in the resurrection. That is why he put his trust in Jesus Christ and not himself. We see the reasons to have hope in the story of Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life. Now I'd like to just give four things Christ's resurrection does for us. And because of these things, we can have hope in Christ. First of all, because Jesus died and rose again, we can have hope for today. We can have hope today, right now, despite what's going on. Despite Eli being here. Despite not knowing our future. First Peter 1.3 says this. Listen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new hope into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A lively hope, one that's alive today, one that we can live on today. A living hope is one that is alive and real to us today. One we can depend on that gives us hope for today. Because of our relationship with Jesus and him changing our lives despite all the things that, have, that we've done wrong, we can have a living hope. Our relationship with Christ and his love for us gives us a reason to live today, despite all our troubles, despite all our pain. Even in times like this, if we have a relationship with him, we have a living hope and a reason to live. So many people, without that relationship, without that hope, have no reason to live. But because of the hope of Jesus Christ, a hope of the future, a hope of seeing Eli again someday, a hope of being with Jesus, we can keep moving. We can get up. We can live. We can um, live a lively hope. Our relationship with Christ, more than anything else, helps us through something like this and gives us hope for today. Second thing I want to the second thing I see about the resurrection, what it did for us today, it gives us hope for the future. I think some of us know the verses in First Thessalonians four. I think I'll just read them right now. But because of Jesus, we have hope. For the future. When we die, we know that we can see Jesus because of the hope he gives us. And listen to First um, Thessalonians thirteen sixteen. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the Lord, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We can have hope to see Christ someday. We can have hope for our future. Um, we can believe that someday we, might, we can see Eli again. Verse 14 says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, or if we have faith in Christ, we can be assured we will see those who are Christians again in heaven. Peter says we should comfort each other with these words. Next week, when that pain sets in, and for family, when everything keeps moving around you and life doesn't move on for you because dad's not here, or husband's not here, or your brother's not here, um, we can know one thing. We can comfort each other with the words that we have hope for the future. That brings me to the third point and maybe the most important thing about the death and resurrection of Christ. The hope we have because of the resurrection is that Christ's resurrection not only took Eli to heaven... When he died, but it justified him and made him alive before he died. Okay? So we can, that hope makes us alive today. We talk a lot about death, especially with Eli being here. And we think, we're thinking a lot about death. But I want to tell us all here, we can be alive in Christ today. See, when sin came, it brought death to our lives. It brought death to the earth. But because of Jesus Christ, we can be alive again. You see, Eli, like all of us, at one time were very dead while we were still alive. His sins, like all of us, brought death to our life. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, he was able to be alive in Christ. And that is the Eli I knew. Not a perfect man, by any means, but one who allowed himself to be justified in Jesus Christ. And that's what God's asking for all of us. He's not going to ask us, any of us to be perfect because we can't be perfect. He's asking us to be justified in Jesus Christ. And by that, we can be alive in Christ. I just want to read the verses there in Romans um, that talk about being alive in Christ. Romans 4.23. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written... For his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can be alive with Christ. We can be justified by Jesus Christ. And we can have peace with God. That's the peace I want all of us to have. That's the peace we can all have in Christ. What Christ did was bring peace so we can become alive. Sin brings death in our lives. And Christ, by his death and resurrection, allowed us to have redemption and be alive again. And I'm not talking about this hallelujah, praise the Lord, yell and scream alive. I'm talking about having a reason to live. A quiet passion to live for Christ. Or some of us might not be so quiet, but it's someone who is alive in Christ, has a peace within them that we know, and it only comes by the redemption of Jesus Christ. 
We don't become alive by our good works. Only Christ can justify us when we become Christians. Christ imputes or credits his righteousness, what he did on the cross, so we can be alive. Only Christ's righteousness in us helps us be alive in Christ. Only Christ's righteousness helps us have peace with God. We will never earn this, but we can be alive in him because of Christ. Look at the next chapter in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? No. Someone who is alive in Christ decides they need to quit sinning, right? It says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We, sh- we shall... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? If we are alive, we care about our lives. We care about the sin in our lives, and we do something about it. Christ's redemption saves us, and because of Christ's redemption, we can have a reason to, um, to be sanctified and change and deal with the sin in our lives. Sunday, I remember sitting with Eli after church. And I'll probably never forget this because it's a special time. It was only a few hours or a half a day, a day before Eli passed away. But we were sitting there, and he mentioned that there's so many people who claim to be alive with Christ but have no fruit. I believe Eli was right. The resurrection of Christ will bring fruit in our lives. If we are Christians, we'll have good works. We'll be alive, and we'll do things that are right. I remember a discussion we had in, in Colossians 2 and 3 and the freedom we have in Christ, but also the importance we have as Christians to live a holy life. He was grappling with that. How do we live both freedom in Christ and a holy life? I was blessed to have that conversation with Eli before he died. And I know while he was alive, he wanted to be alive in Christ and wanted to do what was right and wanted to have fruit. And I know, we all know, Eli, he was, wasn't perfect like any, like any of us. But yet he had a desire to have fruit and a desire to do what's right. And I guess, and I ask, I say that was a desire in Eli's heart. And I think it should be a desire in all our hearts. If we are saved and Christ has made us alive, we should have desire to have fruits. And the last one, not only does Christ's resurrection make us alive in Christ, it gives us victory. And that's so important. Eli had victory from pain, suffering, and Eli has victory from pain, from suffering, and from sin. And someday all of us will have that victory in Christ. But I believe before we die, we can have that victory here on earth. Not to be perfect, but a victory of the hope of of salvation. A victory against sin. A victory um, that brings us to him. Look at Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 6. I'm just going to read those verses yet. But God, who is rich in his mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us. I'm sorry. Even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved. And hath raised us together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We, even here on earth, like, like it says, can sit in heavenly places with Christ while we're here on earth. And I think that's so important for us to remember. We can have victory. If we have hope in the resurrection, we can have victory in Christ. We not only can be alive in Christ, but we can have victory in Christ. This is one of the hopes we have to live for. We can actually, while we're alive, sit together in heavenly places with Christ. We can have victory from our sins. We, can ha- we aren't going to be perfect, but we can live a victorious life. I know there are many days we get down. We let the earthly things discourage us and sin pull us down. 
from that wonderful seat. And I love the verse in Hebrews that says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us let aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that lies before us. Eli ran his race. He received his crown. He found that victory which he met when he met Christ on Monday. And I believe his goal would be for all of us to run that race also. And before we, and while we run that race, remember we can have victory in Christ today. In conclusion, Christ's death and resurrection gives us many reasons to be able to move forward. And I want to encourage you as a family with that. It gives us hope for another day. It gives us hope for the future. It makes us alive in Christ when we were dead in our sins. And it gives us victory because Jesus did this for us. Our only hope is in Christ. As we move forward today without Eli, there will be a void that will seem hard to replace. For you brothers, Eli won't be there anymore. For you boys, girls, dad won't be there. Sarah Ann, your husband won't be there. And for many of us as friends, we're going to miss Eli. And for the family, that void and pain may be there for a long time. Maybe till we meet him in heaven. When others move on, it may seem like we can't move on without Eli. I just want to remind you, there is hope in Christ. He feels that pain and cares deeply about that pain. He knows your pain will be there and it will be there crying with you when you're missing Eli. But I also want to remind us, our hope cannot be the things or in people. They will all fade, but our hope needs to be in Jesus Christ who resurrected and lives forever and is waiting for us today. I love the song we sing sometimes here at church. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I hope that Eli's death reminds all of us again of the hope that is found in Christ. Let's put our trust fully in, in that. One who gives us hope for the future. I'd like to leave you as a family and all of you today a prayer that David gave. A short one verse prayer that David prayed to the Lord. And a prayer that I think can be good for all of us today. Psalm 33, 22. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord. For our hope is in you alone. And let's make that our prayer. All of us here find our hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you, brothers, Duke and John. In events like this, on days like today, on weeks like this week, how we thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins, and then he rose again by the power of God. It's the resurrection. He lives again. John explained that so very well. Thank God for his son, the Lord Jesus, who lives no more to die. Well, next on the program, we'd 
like to have your family come forward and give some memories about your dad. So be ready for that in just a minute here, oh, Sarah Ann and, and all of you. Just a short time ago, Eli was part of a men's retreat sponsored by Life Ministries, I believe, that was out in Idaho. And there are a number of friends that he made in that week or in that time that are here today. And so after the family gives memories, would you men that are here today come forward and present what you have prepared? So the family memories of Eli, uh, the men's retreat members that are here can come up right after the family. And then next after that, Sam Fisher will, will you come forward and read the obituary? The family, the men's retreat, and then the obituary. So I just want to share a little bit about the fondest memories I have of my dad is when he'd come to our softball games. It always meant so much having my dad there cheering me on, doing, doing one of the things that I love doing. Just, um, just having him there and cheering us on. And I uh, just love that, even just like standing up to bat, you'd hear him in the stands cheering me on. And that just meant so much to me. Whether I got flustered or made it out or hit a home run, I'm not going to tell you. But, um, and uh, one of the things that I'm super grateful for about my dad is when, when he gave his life to the Lord, I still remember that everything changed. And seeing him, the change in his life is what inspired me to change and live for the Lord because I wasn't in a good place myself at the time. But it inspired me to change and live for the Lord. I'd be forever grateful for that. He was a man who he loved the truth he loved the truth and loved what, what was and he had a love for what was right. He was a hardworking man with quite a sense of humor. Yeah, that's my dad. Well, I'll miss him a lot, but this life here on earth is really not what we live for anyway.
I don't know if anybody can hear me because my voice is really hoarse, but I do want to share some things about my dad. That meant a lot to me. When I was 16, when I turned 16, he was my biggest cheerleader. Even though 16 year old was, life was my hardest time with my dad, it was when we clashed the most, but it was also when he lifted me up the most. He was, I was the first one in the family to turn 16. And you all probably know how it is with Amish youth and everything. Like the first one in to know what group to go, where, you're, where you belong. And I just remember one Sunday morning, church was at one of my friend's house and he took me. He took me, he hitched up his horse and carriage and took me to my friend's house to church. And on the way, he told me it doesn't matter what anybody thinks of me, I have to let that all go and I have to live. And I have to stand up and be be who I am, not let anybody's thoughts rub me down and just kind of find my own place in life. And uh, I also remember one morning, this was also when I was 16, we made breakfast together and he uh, shared just his life. He shared the things he went through as a boy and as a teenager, his regrets and his passions and his, and all that just meant so much and I look back and I'm like, I know that it was a year that I disappointed him so much, but it was also a year where he lifted me up. And with that, I just, we had a lot of good years together. I was proud of my dad and I loved him very much. I just wanted to say a few things about my dad. He was always so supportive. No matter what I did, he always tried. I always, I often come to him for advice. He always tried to help me the best he could. Sometimes he didn't always know, but he always tried. I remember when he got back from this men's retreat he was on in the Rockies. He was so excited. It was just a month ago. Don't know if I heard ever seen him so excited. I just want to share one thing about Dad too. Like, he's always so supportive, and 
This is a couple years, you know, I'm not sure how long ago it was, that was an accident. It was my fault. I was so angry with myself. I feel with my dad, I feel with everybody. But he just told me that it's not my fault, that we make mistakes. And he haven't moved forward so well, I just went, he didn't condemn me. He wasn't mad at me, he loved me. My name's Nelson Mast. I'm from um, Bonners Ferry, Idaho. Yeah, and I want to, first of all, really offer my condolences to uh, Eli's family. Um, I just very recently got to know Eli at a men's retreat um, out in Idaho. The retreat was held in the Rocky Mountains and we spent four days together camping in the wilderness and riding horses in the mountains. I remember that first day, Eli stepped out of the van at the trailhead, his hunting hat and his friendly smile. And when the guys all get there, we always um, make introductions and then we ask uh, the guys about how much horse experience um, that they've had so that we can match the riders to the horses uh, or the riders abilities to the horses that um, they get assigned. Eli didn't say much. He just said that he'd be happy with any horse we gave him. After riding together a couple of days, I realized that he knew more about horses than I did. I think that kind of characterizes Eli. He never tooted his own horn or talked much about himself. While he didn't say a lot verbally, there was a silent inner strength that you could feel, and when he talked, people listened. We did a lot more than just riding horses and exploring the mountains. Each day, Loyal uh, with Life Ministries would lead us in a time of reflection and encouragement about our walk with God. There was also alone time with God at the top of the mountain each day. Each night around the campfire, there was a lot of sharing as men opened up and talked about the things we struggle with in our lives. Probably the thing that impressed me the most about Eli was his love and concern for his family. He said, I know I'm not a big talker and maybe not the best communicator. I just hope my children know how much I love them and how concerned I am about them and their walk with the Lord. In one of our sessions, Loyal talked about the dash that we see on the gravestone and compared it to our lives. 
Each of us has a start date and we are all writing our dash with the way we live each day. Eli's dash is now followed with a final date. From the little I knew of Eli, I would say that he lived his dash very well. I think Eli's challenge to us today would be to live our lives with purpose so that when we meet our maker, God will say, well done, you were a good and faithful servant. My name is Myron Souter. I'm, I live here in Lancaster County. I was with the men's retreat last month. I met Eli, like Nelson said, just briefly, but intensely for a few days. In my memory, Eli will live as a man of vision. Vision is the ability to participate with God in seeing God's intended future. Eli listened to God to get a sense of what that future is that God is leading him and the people under his influence toward. He talked about sharing that vision with family. One conversation in particular, I remember that Eli and I were standing by the fire after dark. For those who were there, we were on the downhill side of the fire, the kitchen table to our left. <clears throat> the sun had fallen behind the pine trees on the slopes uphill from us. Darkness descended on the meadow. But the fire blazed bright, and there was still time to talk. We had shared in our small groups together some of our struggles, some of our past, some of our vision for the future. And Eli asked me what what words I had for him. And so I spoke words about vision, words about move toward the people in your life and, and speak God's words to them. And I'm confident that he, he came home with excitement and the excitement was the excitement of knowing Jesus Christ. Today I'm, I'm joyful um, in the hope that was shared so well with us, the hope for our brother and the hope for each of us. I just reflected a lot the past couple of days on the friendship and the relationship that Eli and I had the last number of years. <clears throat> He's always been a very special friend. Um, always had time to talk. We, uh, yeah, we spent a lot of time in conversation on 
issues of life and the very things that were talked about here, um, purpose in life. Um, for the boys here, <clears throat> I think we talked about this the last couple of days, but there was a few years ago we had a small group, a men's group in our community, and Eli joined our group, and one of his first times there, he his cry was that he wants to reach his sons. He feels like he has lost it with his sons. He wants to gain that back, and he has today, he has a very good testimony that that was completed. We praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> Eli A. Byler, 54, of Louisville, Pennsylvania, entered into rest on September 7, 2020. He was born on August 23, 1966. He was a member of Living Hope Christian Fellowship in Louisville, Pennsylvania. Eli is the beloved husband of Sarah Ann Byler and the loving father of four sons, Andrew, Marvin, Elmer, and Daniel and three daughters, Catherine, wife of Ephraim Zook of Hardwick, New Jersey, Anna Grace, and Kayla at home. He has four precious grandchildren. He is the son of Ezra and Elizabeth Byler of New Providence. Also surviving are five brothers, Benuel, Emmanuel, Ezra Jr., Andrew and David, and seven sisters, Anna, wife of David Smucker, Miriam, wife of Jonathan Byler, Lydia, wife of David Glick, Ada, wife of Samuel Stolzfus, Priscilla, wife of Chris Stolzfus, Nyoma, wife of Alvin Lapp, and Katie, wife of Elam Stolzfus. Eli was preceded in death by a daughter, Martha, and two brothers, Abner and his stillborn brother. <coughs> if there was any mistakes in here, um, forgive me for that. This is an obituary that I pulled up from, from the news, so I hope you understand that. God bless you all. <coughs> 